Queen Vashti and Queen Esther. In those days, our kingdom was at peace and rest, and King Xerxes had obtained great wealth. Now, the king was a lover of beauty, and so he decided that he was going to invest a lot of his wealth into beautifying the entire citadel, the entire city of Susa. Oh, I wish you could have seen it. He had hanging gardens built. He had trees and bushes and flowers planted everywhere. He had waterfalls and water fountains. It was something to behold. Well, after his project was completed, the king wanted to invite all the inhabitants of his kingdom to come and see all this beauty and to enjoy it. So for six months, we saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming in and out of the city. After this event, the king decided he was going to hold a seven-day, seven-night banquet for his men. Now, Queen Vashti was to hold the same banquet in her quarters for her women. But, oh, the king, <laughs> the king wanted to hold his banquet in one of the beautiful hanging gardens. Now, to keep the grass from being trodden down, he had a special floor laid down. It was made of marble, mother of pearl, and mosaic tile. And then he had marble pillars set up throughout the garden. Sheer white linen was draped over the pillars to give it a huge tent look. Then there was more sheer linen and silver rings to tie the sides back, giving it a nice, open, airy effect. Sofas overlaid with gold were placed throughout the garden so that his guests could recline on. And the servants were instructed to serve any man present as much wine as they could drink, which resulted in much drunkenness. Well, one night during the banquet, the men wanted to see their beautiful Queen Vashti, and she was beautiful. So the king, being drunk himself, sent his eunuch over and summoned the queen to come over and dance for his guests. When the queen heard his request, she was appalled. And she told the eunuch, you go back and you tell the king, I will not come over there and make a spectacle of myself in front of a room full of drunken men. When the king heard her reply, oh, he was angry. How dare the queen disobey his summons? Well, he would be the laughingstock of all of his guests. What was he to do? And so he ran to his officials and he told them what happened. And they said, oh, king, you can't let that happen. Oh, no. If word got out that the queen disobeyed the king, well, all the wives in the, the kingdom would disobey their husbands and we'd have a real riot on our hands. Yeah. 
And he said, well, what am I to do? And they said, oh, king, you must remove the crown from her head. Well, the king was very saddened by this because, you see, just one year prior to this event, the queen had given birth to their son, Artaxerxes. But because she stood up for what was right, that night, Queen Vashti lost her crown, and she was never again permitted to come into the presence of the king. Well, after the seven-day, seven-night drunken banquet had ended, and the palace was somewhat getting back to normal, the king was finally coming to his senses, and he realized he did not have a beautiful queen by his side. Oh, he had to have a beautiful queen by his side. What was he to do? So he ran to his officials again, and he said, You have to find me a queen. You have to find me a beautiful queen. And the official said, Oh, king, not to worry. We have it all planned out. If you will allow us, we will go into your kingdom and we will find all the beautiful young virgin girls and we will bring them into the palace and we will give them a one-year beauty treatment. How's that sound, ladies? And then, O king, you can spend alone time with each girl. And from them, you can choose your next queen. How could the king turn down a deal like that? So he said, okay, you go. So they went out and they searched all through the kingdom and they found all the beautiful young virgin girls and they brought them into the palace. And among them was one whose name was Esther. Now let me tell you a little about Esther. When she was young, her parents had died, and her older cousin Mordecai took her and raised her as his own daughter. Before they removed her from his home, he took her around a corner and he said, Now Hadessa, you see, that was her Jewish name. He said, Hadessa, don't you dare tell anybody you are a Jew. From now on, your name will be Esther. When they brought the girls into the palace, I was one of seven handmaidens appointed to care for Esther. Oh. There was nothing to take care of Esther. She was a sweetheart. She was so kind and gentle and appreciative of everything. She was the kind of person that made you feel important. She brought the best out in people. I remember she would read stories to us, and we would laugh and play games 
Sometimes when she was in her oily, perfumed bath, she would splash us with the water just so we could smell as good as she did. Esther won all of our hearts. She also won the heart of the eunuch who was placed in charge of all of those beautiful women. Now, you're probably saying, now, how do you know that? I watched. I saw him bring her special treats. I saw him place her at prominent places at the table each night. I saw as he took her for long walks and taught her the ways of the palace. And sometimes when we were laughing and giggling and playing, I would look over and you could almost see a little grin coming on his face. Oh, yes, Esther won the heart of the eunuch also. During that one year, Cousin Mordecai would walk past the palace every single day. And he would look up as if to say, Esther, I'm still watching over you. Don't forget who you are and where you came from. Toward the end of the one-year period, the girls were allowed to go into the king's treasury room. And there they were permitted to choose one piece of jewelry to wear when they went in to spend alone time with the king. Now, some of the girls would go in and they would choose long, solid gold chain necklaces. Others came out with silver bangle bracelets. Other ones came out with earrings and necklaces just filled with precious gems and stones. Well, it was Esther's turn to go in. And she went over and she picked up a piece and looked at it and put it down. And she went over and she picked another piece up and looked at it and put that down. And she came out with nothing. And I said, Esther... You didn't take anything. You you choose something. And she said, no, I really don't have any need for that. And I said, Esther, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Choose something. Choose a ring. Choose a pin. Something small. Anything. And she said, no, I just don't have any interest in that kind of thing. And you know what? Esther was right. Esther didn't need any glitz or glitter to catch the king's eye. Esther was beautiful inside and outside. Well, it was time for the girls to go in and spend their alone time with the king. And each night, a different girl would go in and the next morning come back out. It came to be Esther's turn. And we all know what happened. She won the heart of the king, just like she won everybody's heart. And Esther was proclaimed to be the next queen. I will never forget the day of her coronation. We had so much fun. We helped her take her oily, perfumed bath. 
We fixed her hair and helped her put her makeup on. We painted her nails and her toenails. We helped her put her royal gown and her royal jewelry on. And then it came time for the royal robe. And we were all just standing back around the room, just looking at her beauty in awe. And she looked across the room and she said, Anya, Anya, would you do the honors? I was so honored to be chosen. So I smiled and I curtsied. And I went over to where the beautiful robe was hanging on the pedestal and I removed it. And I took it over to where Esther was standing and I took it around her back, was bringing it up over her sleek shoulders and was just about ready to hook the gem-filled clasp when I felt Esther's soft, warm hands coming up around mine and clutching them. And of course I looked up and I was looking straight into her beautiful beautiful, sweet eyes. And she said, Anya, Anya, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done for me. Thank you for everything that you mean to me. I couldn't believe it. There was the next queen thanking me, a handmaiden. It should have been me thanking her. But that was Esther. I smiled and curtsied back to my place. And then the big strong eunuch marched out from his corner. And he held out his big strong arm to her. And as Esther laid her sweet little hand on that big strong arm, she looked up at him out of the corner of her eye, and he looked down at her out of the corner of his eye, And that day, I know I saw a wink. And Esther just grinned. And the eunuch was so proud to escort her out across the balcony to where the king was waiting. As they were walking across the balcony, you could hear all the people from town gathered. And they were saying, oh, look at her. She's beautiful. Look at her. Oh, she looks so sweet and kind. She's just beautiful. Just look at her. And you know, I don't think Esther heard a word they were saying. Because Esther's eyes and her heart was focused on her king. The eunuch led her up to him, placed her hands in his hands. And there they stood hand in hand, gazing into each other's eyes for the longest time. It was just like nobody else existed on the face of the earth, just them two. It was very romantic to watch them. And then the king turned, and he took the royal crown from the royal pillow, and he placed it on Esther's head, and then he ever so gently kissed each one of her rosy cheeks. He led her to the edge of the balcony, took her hand, raised it high into the air, and he made the announcement, I give to you this day your queen, Esther. 
And the people below just started to clap and whistle. And then they began to chant, Esther, Esther, Esther. As Esther just stood with that sweet smile waving to everybody below. Well, after Esther had been crowned queen, cousin Mordecai took his rightful place at the city gate with the other men. And it was there that he heard a plot to kill the king. So Mordecai found a eunuch that he could trust, and he sent word to Queen Esther about what was going on. Now, Esther was young, but Esther was very wise. She sent for the city annals to be brought up. Now, the city annals were like a a city diary. And anything important that happened in the city would be written down in these books. She had the date it was reported, the two men who were plotting to kill the king, the man's name who reported the plot, the two men were taken out and hanged, and the books were closed and put away. And... That seemed to be the end of the story. But, but, at the same exact time, there was a man named Haman the Agagite who was put second in command to the king. And nobody knew why. It was a mystery to everybody. When, now, let me tell you a little bit about Haman. Like I said, he was an Agagite. Agagites hated the Jews. Haman was a very wealthy man. Haman had ten sons. When Haman was put in that office, when he walked by, people were to bow their knee to him. Well, everybody did bow their knee to him. Except one Jewish man. And who do you think that Jewish man was? Mordecai. Oh, that angered Haman. How dare that Jew not bow his knee to me? I'll get even. And so he went to the king. (coughs) And he said, oh, king. You have a race of people in your kingdom who they don't follow our customs or our laws. And I'm just afraid that they're going to cause you a lot of problems. And the king said, okay, Haman, what's your point? And Haman said, well, if you will grant me permission, I will go out into your kingdom and I will annihilate the entire race. And, oh, king, I'm wealthy. I can pay for all the the soldiers king thought about it and he says well i see you've got a good point haman uh we we've been really enjoying our peace and contentment so um okay i'll go along with it on two conditions one this race of people has a year to plan a defense two you will have but one day to carry out your plan Now, Haman is just so cocky and sure of himself. He says, oh, king, not a problem, not a problem at all. So the decree was written and posted. 
When cousin Mordecai read the decree, he went berserk. He shed his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes. He plopped himself right down outside the palace. And he wept and he wailed and he wept and he wailed. He carried on so loud that the queen heard him clear inside the palace. Esther came to the window and looked out and thought, Oh my goodness, that's cousin Mordecai. What in the world is he doing? So she got her eunuch gave him a clean set of clothes, sent down with a message, get yourself up out of there, clean yourself up, quit making a spectacle of yourself. But cousin Mordecai sent word back up to Esther about the decree and that she needed to go in and plead for the lives of her people. Esther sent word back down, I can't do that. I can't go in unsummoned because if I do, I will surely die and then I'm no good to any race of people. But Mordecai sent word back up, Esther, you have been placed in this royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent word back down, I will go into the king unannounced. I will plead for the lives of my people. But first, all my people must fast for three days and three nights. Then I will go in unannounced. And if I perish... I perish. For three days and three nights, the Jews, Esther and her handmaidens, all fasted and prayed. At the end of the fast, she got up, she washed herself, she got all of her royal garb on, she put the crown on her head, and she started down that long hallway leading to the king's quarters. We followed her. Because we thought this is the last we're going to ever see our wonderful Queen Esther. And I can still remember hearing the echoes of her sandals hitting the marble floor as she walked down the hall. She got to the end of the hall and she turned, facing the last corridor toward where her king was sitting. She squared her shoulders, she stood high, and she walked right toward him. We were following, and the closer she got, the faster our hearts beat. She got closer and closer and closer until the king saw her, and he looked up. She walked right up to the king. He stood. We stopped breathing. And he looked down at her. And then he reached over for the golden scepter and held it out to her, welcoming her into his presence. Oh, we could breathe again. And that day, Esther did the most beautiful deep curtsy she had ever performed before. As she was coming up, she reached out and touched the tip of the golden scepter, accepting the welcome. The king looked down and said, oh, my beautiful queen, to what do I owe this unexpected visit? And she looked up into his eyes and our hearts began to pound again. And she said, oh, my dear king, I have come to invite you and your second in command, Haman, to a banquet to honor both of you. And we're standing behind the column thinking, you're throwing a banquet for Haman? Yeah, for the king, but for Haman? 
Haman's the guy that's going to kill your people, Esther. What are you thinking? And the king looked down at her and said, yes, oh, my dear queen, we will be there. And he kissed her hand and off we went to prepare for the banquet. Well, when Haman found out that the queen was throwing a banquet for him and the king, he thought, I have Mordecai right where I want him. He'll have to bow his knee to me. All the important people will be there and he will have to bow his knee to me. Well, the night of the banquet came and everybody did bow their knee to Haman. Except for one Jewish man. Who was that man? Mordecai. Oh, Haman was so angry. At the end of the night, the king came to Queen Esther and said, Oh, my beautiful queen, how can I ever repay you for such a wonderful night? And she looked up into his eyes and we thought, oh, this is it, this is it. And she said, oh, my dear king, would you and Haman come back tonight for the second night of banquet? And we're thinking, second night of banquet? Esther, you're losing time here. Your people's in danger and you're throwing a banquet for him. (coughs) The king said, oh, yes, we will be here. And they left. And we left and started to get ready for the banquet. Well, that night, Haman went home, and he was steaming. He was in the kitchen with his wife, and he was pacing back and forth. What am I going to do with that Jew? He won't bow his knee to me. How dare he not bow his knee to me? Oh, I am just so angry. What am I going to do? And his wife just got fed up with it. And she finally looked at him and said, Haman... Just take the man out and hang him, why don't you? He stopped and he said, that's just what I'm going to do. So he ran out and got a group of his men and they started building a 75 foot high gallows to hang Mordecai on. That is a six story building. Those gallows could be seen from anywhere and everywhere in Susa. Now, it just so happened that same night the king couldn't sleep. I don't know whether there was too much banging going on building the gallows or what was going on, but he couldn't sleep. And so he had the city animals brought up to read to him because they were boring and they would kind of lull him to sleep. And they came across the event where the two men were plotting to kill the king and they were put to death. And the king stopped him and said, the man who reported that, was he ever rewarded for his good deed? And the readers went back over and read it and they said, no, king, it wasn't. And he said, are any of my officials still up? And they said, oh, Haman's out in the quarter. He's been out there all night long. I don't know what him and his men are up to. And the king said, you tell Haman to come in. So Haman went in, and the king said, Haman, have a seat. So Haman went over. He had a seat, and he says, Haman, I want to ask your opinion on something. Oh, the king wanted Haman's opinion. (laughs) He said, yes, king. He said, Haman, what would you do? 
to reward a man for saving the king's life. Well, Haman thought that the king was talking about him. And so Haman said, oh, king, this is what I would do. I would take your royal robe off your back and give it to that man to wear. And then I would put that man on your royal steed, on that beautiful horse. And then I would have that man led up through the highways and the byways and the streets and the avenues of Susa. And I would demand that every man, woman, and child bow their knee to that man. The king said, Haman, that is a great idea. Here, Haman, take my robe. And Haman, I want you to go find this man, Mordecai. And I want you to put that robe on his back. And then, Haman, I want you to put him on my royal steed. And then, Haman, I want you personally to lead him up through the highways and the byways of Susa. And I want you to make sure that every man, woman, and child bow their knee to him. Don't you wish you could have been in the room to see Haman's face at that minute? And that's just what happened. Every man, woman, and child bowed their knee when Mordecai rode by. And Haman's knee bowed also. Oh, Haman was boiling mad. That night at the banquet, everybody had a wonderful time. Everybody except Haman. The king came to the queen and said, Oh, my dear queen. What can I do to repay you for such wonderful nights of banquet? I will give you up to half of my kingdom. That is a big reward, let me tell you. And she looked up at him and she said, Oh, my dear king, I would ask that you would spare the lives of my people, the Jews, and take the edict away. The banquet hall fell dead silent. And all you could hear were whispers and gasps. Did you hear that? The queen's a Jew. Esther's a Jew. She's a Jew. Did you hear that? Esther's a Jew. She's a Jew. The queen's a Jew. The king was just stunned. He didn't know what to say. And finally he looked at her and said, whose idea was that? And Esther pointed over and said, your second in command, Haman the Agagite. The king's neck and face started to turn beet red the whole way up. The vessels stuck out in his forehead and in his neck. He started to turn purple. He couldn't even talk. He was so angry. He had to go outside to get his thoughts together. Well, in the meantime, all eyes were on Queen Esther. And she made her way across the banquet floor with Haman groveling and begging right behind her like a little puppy dog. Because, see, he knew what was coming his way. 
Esther reclined on her sofa. And just at the exact time the king re-entered the banquet hall, Haman lost control of his emotions, threw his body over her feet, and the king hollered across the banquet hall, How dare you try to seduce my wife, the queen, right before my very eyes? Take him out and hang him. And that night, Haman the Agagite was hanged on the 75-foot-high gallows that could be seen anywhere and everywhere in Susa. Later on, all ten of Haman's sons were hanged also, eliminating the entire race of Agagites. And the threat of death to the Jews was gone. The edict was reversed. And there was great joy in the race of the Jews. Much peace throughout the kingdom again. All because one young girl made her moment count. When the Lord gave me this portrayal quite a few years ago, he spoke to my heart. And it really, really got to me and I share it with other people because it is so important so important and I want you to listen to what I say next when a minute of your life passes you will never get that same minute back to relive And I'm sure all of us here today have said something that we wish we could reach out, take back, and put back in, and you can't. It's done. Maybe it's something we've done that we can't undo. Maybe it's something God is asking you to do, and you're not doing it. Listen as I say that again, because I want you to really understand this. This isn't from me. This is from God. When one minute of your life passes, you will never, ever get that same one minute back to relive. And I challenge you here today, be like Esther. Make your moment count and always, always, Keep your eye and your heart on the King. Shalom. Thank you.